NFL Week 18 line moves in Suma. Before we can get to Week 18, I think everybody's still thinking a lot about the way Week 17 ended. Scary situation involving DeMar Hamlin. First and foremost, bringing this into the proper perspective, on a human level, how do you go about processing something like that when you're witnessing something that is a better, you know, this is part of your livelihood, and, and at the same time you're trying to juggle what's really important in the grand scheme of things? A very good question. So I think in the moment it's very hard to process because first of all, for the guys who are on the field, I cannot even imagine what that situation would feel like. Um, just from watching that or hearing about it afterwards because I woke up in the morning, I wanted to watch the game unspoiled and then I opened Game Pass and the game was not there. And I did not know what was going on. Was there any weather delay or something like that? And then a friend told me, man, Demar Hamlin just collapsed on the field and is, is, in, is in critical conditions. And that was very tough to process because you sometimes have tougher injuries like crazily broken legs. And sometimes they, um, they uh, transport someone on a stretcher to a local hospital and then you get usually very good news quickly after that but this one i think was completely different and i have not witnessed this like ever before watching football so yeah very tough to process and um i hope uh, we will get some good news soon um but yeah on the other side uh, as betters we also have to somehow uh think a little bit rationally about next week and um yeah um, it's kind of tough to to get the to get the right balance there i would say yeah and we will do our best to find the right balance if anybody's not in the mood yet to get too deep into the week 18 card i totally understand but if we can be any sort of diversion to add value in any way then we will do our best along those lines as we all cross our fingers for positive news about hamlin's status Sumo, one thing before we dive into specific games on week 18, I'm thinking that the logistics of this situation are really tricky. If they go ahead and cancel this game, uh, that's a big if. But if that happens, then it sounds as if the Patriots at the Bills and the Ravens at the Bengals, two matchups on the week 18 slate, could very possibly also become rematches on wildcard weekend. And with that possibility looming, is that having any impact on how you're looking at those two games in particular on the week 18 card? No, not at all. So um, even if we assume that there's a high chance of Pats, Bills and uh, Ravens, Bengals being the, the wildcard matchup, I think um, there are not really any betting implications for this week. Um, and the crazy thing is we don't know how they're going to handle this, whether they replay that game or whether they completely alter the, the NFL schedule with pushing the, the playoffs backwards. But if the Chiefs win on Saturday and they don't replay that game, the Chiefs will automatically be in the first seat while the Bills are going to have one less game played than the Chiefs. So, um, yeah, 
I don't think there's any great solution to this. Uh, Jacob and I talked about this um, before the show. There is not really any great solution. Um, I think at the maximum, you could possibly cancel the, the Pro Bowl and push the playoffs back. So you can um, reschedule Bengals, Bills to, to next week and basically let other, other, uh, all the other teams have, have a bye week. But yeah, man, eh, tough. I don't want to be in the position to, to make those um, decisions this week, to be honest. And I'm wondering if you also are hesitant to get in the position of making any bets, guessing at what the solution might be, because I've heard people talk about possible value. And at this point, a lot of it's been acted upon. A lot of people talking futures when it comes to the Chiefs and, and even a team like the Patriots to win the AFC or the Super Bowl. Obviously, very different reasons to look toward Kansas City versus New England, as you touched on. If Bills Bengals doesn't resume, then the Chiefs would be win and in for the one seed on Saturday. And for the Patriots, if the Bills know they can't get the one seed, then a number that was north of a touchdown could drop significantly. And while it's very unlikely that the Patriots have much of a playoff run in them, there could be a major boost to their odds of simply making the playoffs. And then if they happen to win a game, that could give you some maneuverability if you take a decent flyer on them right now in the futures market. But Suma, are you just too unsure of what the ultimate logistical solution is going to be from the league? Or have you explored any actionable angles from a betting point of view, knowing that sometimes the chaos around logistics like this can breed opportunity for betters willing to go out on a bit of a limb early on in the process? Yeah, one thing going back to one of your points is that um, when it comes to the Bengals-Ravens game, I don't think there's going to be any major issue. Um, I would guess that it's it's hard for some Bengals players to process that mentally. But in terms of pr preparation for the upcoming game, I think they will very they they will be very close to normal with their schedule. Um, but for the Bills, it might be a little bit tricky because they landed late night back in Buffalo. They basically had that Tuesday um, off and just came in into the facility to get information on Demar Hamlin and. Some players uh, needed to get uh, rightfully, I would say, some mental treatment. And so their scheduling and their preparation for the Pets game, at least mentally, might be a little bit disrupted. And um, that's something to think about. Um, now I'm going to Galaxy Brain a little bit. Um, we talked about one of the potential solutions that I could realistically see is that the NFL pushes back the playoffs one week and we have the Bengals-Bills game uh, for the first slash second seed next week and all other teams might get one week of a break. If that happens, I think there's a small chance, but if that happens, I think that the Chargers would get a little bit of a boost in the futures market because... First of all, I, I wrote about the Chargers in my Monday column for the Hammer.Bet. Um, I think that the Chargers are very dangerous going into the playoffs, but the Chargers are going to play if they want to make the Super Bowl four consecutive road games. So if there's any kind of solution that would push the playoffs back and, and, get, and give teams one more, one more week of rest, I think that the Chargers would probably benefit the most of it and in general teams that would have lots of road games around this time. 
All right. Well, I think that lays a good foundation for betters to consider as we await any logistics to be confirmed by the league. At this point, everybody's on pins and needles for again. Updates on Hamlin's status first and foremost, and then very secondarily trying to figure out what we can make of all this. And as we look at what's, you know, aside from a very scary situation for Hamlin, just a very muddled week 18 card in general, I think we can talk a bit more about the Chiefs and their matchup on Saturday with the Raiders. This line open Kansas City minus 10. We saw it bet down to seven and a half. And as we're recording, Kansas City is taking on money. I'm seeing anywhere from nine and a half at Circa, a juicy seven and a half still at Pinnacle. So a, a bit of a range there as far as where the Chiefs are. But they have taken on money since dipping to seven and a half. The over has also seen some money up from 50 and a half to 52 and a half. Suma, what do you make of the, uh, I guess, two-way action on the side and then the pretty decided one-way action on the over in Chiefs Raiders? Yeah, we are dealing with a situation where we had a quarterback change for the Raiders last week, and that quarterback um, amazingly and surprisingly looked better than Derek Carr. Um, the funny thing is that um, Jason Stidham, nobody believed that he would have that in him, but he possibly made more plays out of structure than Derek Carr has made all season long. And I think that some of those plays were like low probability shots and they might not be that easy to sustain going forward. But there's also the question whether this offensive scheme with those playmakers like Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, maybe they just need a somewhat competent quarterback maybe someone who can create two or three out of structure plays per game and that offense can be very, very efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, we we, we got to be anchoring towards last week because the Niners uh, closed minus 10 at, at Las Vegas. <clears throat> the game was very close because uh, Jason Stitton made the game of his career. But I think that the Chiefs and the Niners are power rated in the in the or let's say at least near the same ballpark when you now make a small adjustment to the upside for the Raiders offense for Jason uh, Jared Stidham uh, being better than anticipated I can probably get behind that early move but now we are also seeing this getting played back and I think it's just a question of whether we anchor to that 49ers line from last week and how much of an adjustment we make for the Raiders um, towards the upside. And given the state of this line, some books at, again, I'm still seeing as low as a heavily juiced minus seven and a half, but seven and a half to nine and a half, yeah. various six to seven point teasers have the Chiefs in play. I think week 18 in general, teasers can be really perilous because there's so much of a moving target when it comes to teams' motivations, who's going to be in or out. So uh, I'm inclined generally to wait as long as possible and let market efficiency be my best friend as more information comes out and lines get hammered into place closer to kickoff. But as we just consider the Chiefs right now, being one of the few games on the slate that seems remotely in the realm of teaser territory, what's your thought process if you're looking at a potential teaser leg to pair with Kansas City this week? Do you just stay away in general because week 18 teasers can be such a tricky dance? Or is there any other way that you would consider teasing Kansas City down through the seven and the three? Yeah, so if you have a book that is still at uh, minus eight and a half or better, 
there's absolutely a great um, a great chance to tease down the Chiefs. And even if you don't find a good pair, you can still bet open teasers at some books. I think there are opportunities to pair it with uh, because if the Dolphins take more money, the Jets could be a realistic option. And I also think that despite some of the uncertainty surrounding the Bills, if that game against the Pets gets played, I, I think that the Bills might also be a decent teaser opportunity. Same goes for the Bengals, who are currently not really open at, at different books, but Chris is leading minus seven, minus or five. Depends on where you set that number there. I think um, most would set this in the ballpark of, of seven. There's also the opportunity with the Bengals. But at least if you have KC minus eight and a half or better, I think that's, that's a very decent uh, teaser leg. I find the the Bills pairing interesting because typically that would seem like a dynamite teaser Chiefs and Bills to do a little more than win outright in these matchups. But I wonder if there's a bit of inverse correlation if Kansas City wins. Again, the, the logistics that are TBD could very much be holding a Chiefs-Bills teaser hostage because you might end up teasing the Bills and find out that they don't have any incentive to win against the Patriots so am I reading that correctly or is, is that something that you would still figure, hey, they're probably going to be fully motivated just because of the way that Monday night ended and then also the fact that maybe the game doesn't get canceled and they still would have something to play for in that case. Even if KC wins on Saturday, the Bills are still playing for the second seed. And with the way that the AFC is shaping up, that means that they would uh, likely host the Bengals instead of traveling to Cincinnati. So I still think that from, from a seeding perspective, there is still something to gain because if the Bengals win and the Bills lose and, and, and their matchup gets not replayed, then the Bengals would have the uh, second seed and the Bills would have the third seed. So there is still some seeding um, incentive in my opinion. Got it. And that my first thought was, well, the Bills wouldn't host the Bengals. The Bills would probably host the Patriots. But that's looking ahead to the divisional round, assuming yes, yes. the favorites hold court. Then Bills yeah. Bengals would be an awesome divisional round matchup and, and yeah. home field could be a huge factor in that one. Got it. OK, well, I think we've beaten the, the Chiefs Raiders game to death. The teaser possibilities into a pretty good spot. Appreciate the insight, Suma. I also want to talk about the nightcap on Saturday, Tennessee at Jacksonville, the Titans have seen some money openers of plus seven down to plus six and a half. What do you make of that movement? Just a half point, but off of that key number of seven. Yeah, it's a little bit tricky to price Joshua Dobbs, in my opinion. Um, the Titans last week on Thursday Night Football, a game that they basically punted, they were down 10 starters from their week one starting defense. And yesterday, there was not a single defensive player not practicing among those who are not on IR. So the Titans, when you exclude all those guys on IR, will likely be completely healthy on, on uh, defense and they will start Joshua Dobbs on the, on the offense. So I think it's basically about how do we price Joshua Dobbs and the uncertainty and how do we price Titans getting all the players back. But I think plus seven, for the Titans, um, with their defense, with their great infra infrastructure, is probably a, a, a buy point for a, lo a lot of the betters. Uh, despite the Jaguars playing really well, especially on offense, they still have a, a defense that can be beat, and they are still a very inexperienced team. 
So um, I think that plus seven is, is a very decent price point for some betters on the Titans. But I also don't see a Titans team with Joshua Dobbs getting bet down below six or something. From Saturday to Sunday, after we went in chronological order for the Saturday doubleheader, we'll stick to rotation order on Sunday with 14 games on the Sunday slate. Rams at the Seahawks. The Rams, similar to the last game we discussed, an opener of plus seven down to plus six and a half. So the Rams have seen a bit of money. Suma, what do you make of that move? It seems like this might just be some of the sharper crowd that bets earlier in the week, knowing that even though the Rams have nothing to play for, they're still probably going to have guys playing for their next contract. And while Seattle is in a must-win spot, at this stage, if you're in a must-win situation, then that says something about how good you must be as a team overall anyway. Yeah, first of all, um, there is public data out there about teams against the spread who need to win in weeks 17 or 16 and 17 um, versus teams who have nothing to play for. And those teams are usually overvalued and perform badly against the spread. I think over the past 10 or 15 years, these must-win teams are slightly below 40% against the spread. So you, you might always be looking at some inflation when it comes to the, to, to the market price. What's interesting about this game is that the Chargers closed minus 6.5 last week against the Rams, which is the same number as for the Seahawks. Yes, there is some more home field advantage for the Seahawks because the, the, the Charles are playing in the same stadium. But I also think that there is a decent gap in terms of power rating and talent between the Chargers and the Seahawks right now. So it's very interesting to see this number being basically exactly the same as last week. Um, I think that there's a buy point for the Rams. Chris is shaded towards the seven right now at uh, minus six and a half, minus 15. But I don't think that this will get past a flat seven. I think that there has to be some Rams uh, Ram support with money at, at, the, at the seven. Another game where motivation is going to be a question mark, not because it's must win for either team or either team is eliminated, but the Eagles playing the Giants. Giants locked into the sixth seed. Eagles just need a win to clinch the one seed, and that win is looking pretty likely based on a lofty point spread in this one. Suma, it's the total that's seen some pretty intriguing movement, an opener of 40 and a half, up to 43. What do you think has driven this over money so far for Eagles-Giants? <clears throat> First of all, the fact that uh, John Hurts will likely play in this game because all of a sudden the Eagles have a lot of incentive to play for because uh, with a loss they could lose the first seed to the Niners or to the Cowboys. So they have to play this game with all their starters until they build a, a very big lead. And on the other side, even though the Giants might rest starters, we still don't know yet. I think Dable mentioned briefly on Sunday night that he might play starters. Um, he comes from Buffalo and in recent years, the Bills, if they had nothing to play for in week 17 or 18, they had their starters, starters out for one or two quarters. So there's a scenario in which the Giants come out with their starters, give them one or two quarters, like, like in a preseason game, to let them stay in with them and then pull them. Um, during the game or during the first half. But even if not, the Eagles' defense 
is not great. They're dealing with some injuries. Um, Andy Dalton was basically picking apart their zone coverage. And yeah, I think it's a mix of, first of all, the Giants, if they come out with their starters, they could put up a, a few points early. But even a backup unit might still be able to score, uh, let's say, seven points or something. So there, there are a lot of scenarios here which might lead to uh, a, a final score which could be in the low 40s rather than around 40 or below 40 and I think that's why we saw this total getting bet up. Does the speculation about the Giants playing starters and if so how long they might play their starters give you any inclination to look toward the first half over or the Giants against the spread in the first half relative to some of the full game numbers that we're seeing? Yes, absolutely. So if if the Giants plan on playing starters, um, you would have to look at first quarter, first half, spread in total. But I also think that the market will absolutely hammer those numbers uh, very, very quickly if we get those news. All right. So quick to the trigger, if you want to look toward first half value in Eagles-Giants, a game that you don't need to be so quick to the trigger on, I would argue, would be Lions-Packers. That has been flexed into Sunday night. And while that is the nightcap on Sunday, again, sticking with rotation order as we work our way through the Sunday card, Packers currently favored by four and a half. And one of the reasons I think waiting on this could make for an interesting dynamic in the betting landscape, this game contingent on that Ram-Seahawks game we broke down earlier. With a Seahawks win, Detroit is eliminated from playoff contention. With a Rams win, it's winning in for both teams and the loser goes home on Sunday night. So Suma, with that in mind, do you give any thought to the notion of a correlated money line parlay, perhaps pairing the Seahawks with the Packers, knowing that a Seattle win knocks out Detroit, or a money line parlay with the Rams and the Lions, knowing that a Rams win keeps Detroit in the hunt? There are a lot of interesting talking points about this game, and you probably mentioned them all already. First of all, yes, if the Seahawks win, the Lions will be out. But I fully believe that if there's one coaching staff or one head coach that is fully preparing for this game and will give like 100% whether they can make the playoffs or not, it's probably Dan Campbell. However, I think we should also think about the possibility of some players being disappointed about not being able to make the playoffs and who might not give a 110%, even if they have a lot of motivation to spoil the Packers. I think that, that the market is pricing that possibility in because the Seahawks are laying six and a half points at home to the Rams. So there's probably a, a decent probability that the Lions will only play for the opportunity of spoiling the Packers and not playing to get a wild card berth themselves. And I think it, it makes sense when you compare to the closing line of the Packers against the Vikings last year, uh, last week. The Packers closed, I think, around minus three, minus 120. And the Lions are power rated higher than the Vikings. So you would usually expect this number to be in the same ballpark or be even lower when, when we strictly care about linear power rating differences. There's also the narrative that it's Dred Goff outside of a dome. He has been performing very poorly this season outside. The Packers defense, a pass defense is playing very well and has a lot of momentum right now. But I still think that this, this current line of minus four and a half 
is telling us that there's a possibility that the Lions will play for nothing. And even though they want to give everything to spoil the Packers, there's still a small chance we have to keep in our minds that players might be a little bit disappointed or something about that um, potential and likely Seahawks win before that game starts. To the overarching point you made, I feel like while four and a half might be a fair number for this game right now, given the uncertainty with Ram Seahawks, I, I feel very confident that this line isn't going to close four and a half. So Suma, just how high do you think this spread gets if Seattle wins and Detroit's already knocked out before the game kicks off? And how low do you think this spread could close if the Rams win and the Lions remain in the hunt? I would set the range at three and a half to five and a half. I, I cannot see this getting towards six. Uh, because therefore the the Lions offense is still way too good to get six points here. Um, if the Seahawks lose, I can see Lions money, but I can also not see a minus three. So I would expect this to to maybe move towards uh, the three and a half range if if the Lions can make the playoffs. All right, and a game that we can confidently say going to close well north of three and a half or even five and a half as a high point for the Packers would be the Niners currently laying a full two touchdowns hosting Arizona. And this line has seen some interesting movement. An opener 14 ticked down initially to 13 and a half, then went through the 14 up to 14 and a half. Now it's back to where we started. Niners minus 14. And Suma, when I look at this game, I think of a saying from the late, great David Molinsky must win, not necessarily equating to must win by margin. Yes, absolutely. This is also a game with some uncertainty in terms of how we are going to price this. Um, 14 is a very big number, but it's also a very dead team in the in the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I think we don't know yet whether it's going to be David Blow or Colt McCoy. Uh, to play, um, I think I read something that if Mc, if McCoy is healthy, he's going to play because they will likely need him next season when Calamari is still rehabbing from his ACL injury. So they want to still see uh, what they have in McCoy and give him s- some reps. But this is this this is a very terrible matchup for the Cardinals from from the trenches to the secondary. I mean, it's just a very very ugly matchup and. Um, the Niners will treat this game very serious because they can still get the um, number one seed with the um, Eagles and Giants playing at um, 10-25. Yes, the Eagles are minus 14 favorites, but um, the Niners um, will at least start with their starters. And then it becomes a question of whether they might pull some starters later in the game if they build up a lead and simultaneously see the Eagles um, um, putting a beating on, on the Giants' backups. Sounds like scoreboard watching. It might be a theme of much of the day for some of these playoff teams. Niners going to be keeping an eye on what the Eagles are doing. And for the Chargers, they could be doing some scoreboard watching, perhaps before they even kick off in Denver. Chargers currently laying three, minus 115. We've seen this open as a flat three, get up to a soft three and a half. Now we're back to that juicy minus three for the Chargers. But Suma, if the Ravens and Bengals kick off at 1 p.m. Eastern, which I am currently seeing on the schedule, um, as you've noted on our show sheet here, it looks like the Chargers could lock up that five seed before this one even kicks off. What do you think that would mean in terms of impact to this point spread? 
and also just contextualizing why that would be so impactful, the value of the five seed relative to the six seed in this year's AFC postseason. Yes, um, I think everyone will agree that the Chargers should lay more than a field goal against Denver, even on the road. So this is screaming uncertainty. We don't know how the uh, Bengals-Ravens game is going to end. Um, I think that the Chargers would rather travel to Jacksonville than to Cincinnati or Buffalo in the wildcard round. I think this is very real. And if they lock up the fifth seed before, if maybe, uh, uh, if probably the Bengals beat the Ravens, they would have the fifth seed locked and loaded. And then there's zero incentive to play Justin Herbert and, and all the starters because we, we mentioned it earlier, the Chargers, if they want to make the Super Bowl, they will have to play four consecutive road games. And then there's really no point to let your starters play in a meaningless game. Maybe they're going to start and give them give them one quarter of play and then pull them. But if they lock up the, the fifth seed, I would I would um, expect um, a lot of Denver money to enter the market um, at around 4 p.m. on on Sunday. Well, speaking of teams locked into their seating, Tampa Bay locked into the four seed in the NFC, having clinched the almighty NFC South with a win over the Panthers last Sunday. Tampa Bay going to be wrapping up its regular season in Atlanta. This game has seen some wild movement. The Falcons, I saw an opener of minus nine, got down to as low as Falcons minus three yesterday on the news that Tampa Bay was going to be playing some starters. Market not fully buying into the Bucks, giving their starters a full go in this one. Line currently back up to Falcons minus four and a half. Suma, what are your expectations for Tampa Bay starters in this one? And how might that inform any ways you might be looking at this game, again, from a first half angle relative to the full game? Yeah, it will be interesting to watch those Todd Bowles pressers. If you ask me, I would not play any starter in this game if I'm the Bucks. You could use this as, as your second bye week, um, especially when you were dealing with some injuries to Tristan Worth, to Donovan Smith. Ryan Jensen is working his way back. Chris Gardner is coming off that ACL injury from last season. Julio Jones is always dealing with some minor injuries. So... Their defense was also not healthy the, the past uh, few weeks. So to me, there is absolutely zero point for the Bucks to play their starters. If they decide to play their starter, starters at least for one half or one quarter, we are having the same discussion as earlier. Um, there might be some opportunities against the first quarter or first half line, but I cannot believe that they would play their starters in this game. It doesn't make any sense to me. All right, well, hopefully we can make sense of something when it comes to a favorite segment on the show, Fabian's Forecast. I feel like we could go any which way, given this week's board and so much of the uncertainty across the marketplace. Suma, we've talked about half the games already, another half of games we haven't touched yet that you could speak to if you'd like. What are you going to be keeping a particularly close eye on between now and kickoff? To be honest, um, I don't have a great game for Forecast this week. I think... Last week, we nailed it with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but this week, there's no such game where I could give a very good um, forecast conditioned on some on some injury stuff, um, to be completely honest with you. Um, when I look across the board, 
The Brown Steelers is, is an interesting number. It's, it's hanging between the two and a half and the three. We have some uncertainty with Denzel Ward and Jack Conklin right now. This is a this is a, this is another game that could be driven by those injuries because Jack Jack Conklin right tackle is going to play against um, T.J. Watt, and Denzel Ward is also very important when it comes to those receivers like George Pickens and Deontay Johnson. The Browns defense has been playing much better lately, so I think that those injuries could play a role in terms of how this market is going to be shaping up. All right. Well, I appreciate the context there on Brown Steelers and also the candor when it comes to not having a ton of conviction. One of the best things we can do as betters is pick our spots. I think you've shown that effectively throughout the course of the season in Fabian's forecast. And when nothing stands out, no need to force the hands. We can speak with plenty of conviction, however, when it comes to the hopier side of things. So as we hit on the hops here, Jacob, on last Friday's show, it sounded like you had a little bit of everything on the table with your New Year's Eve plans. How did that go, and what would you say was your standout experience? Uh, it was a lot of fun. Had some good time with some friends over the course of New Year's. Enjoyed that. Uh, I, I really did enjoy watching, actually, the college football playoffs during that time. It was very – so if you're in Eastern Standard Time Zone – uh, the Ohio State field goal that would have won them the game that went well wide in the end occurred about five seconds after the turn of the new year. So it was a bit of a divide between people at the party because there was people like me who wanted to see the outcome of the game and there's people who wanted to watch like the New Year's Eve shows and watch the, watch the ball drop. So it was a really weird dynamic because there's two minutes till New Year's, but Ohio State are in field goal range and a field goal wins in the game. So uh, we end up having to toss on a phone. So not quite hops related, but it was just over the course of the party. That was just, uh, I thought that was a very interesting point. It would have been, I think it would have been really special if, because Ohio is Eastern Standard as well, if to, to the New Year started with them kicking a game-winning field goal, but it was quite the opposite. So not the best for Ohio State fans, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess Georgia also being in the Eastern time zone, probably more than happy with that result. That's true. So, yeah. you know, half the half the crowd or so goes home happy on that one. And fortunately, I was able to watch that a few hours before the clock turned to midnight out here on the West Coast. And this past weekend, I was able to enjoy a few good food and beer pairings. On our show last Friday, we commemorated what would have been the 62nd birthday again, of the late, great David Molinsky. And Dave was really into not just enjoying the hops, but pairing things together wherever possible. And I had a couple fun examples of that this past weekend. First off, on New Year's Eve, my best friend uh, lives out of state, was in town. He came over, visited for lunch, and we picked up some Indian food. I paired a lamb biryani dish with Pliny the Elder, which is a legendary West Coast IPA. And then on New Year's Day, just about 24 hours later, had another fun pairing watching the Chargers own the battle for L.A. from Tony's Darts Away, which is a pretty well-known craft beer bar in the L.A. area, paired the Tony's Breakfast Burrito with a draft pour of Double Dry Hopped Hello L.A., which is a Double Dry Hopped West Coast IPA by Highland Park Brewery out here in Los Angeles. And when it came to these pairings, what was so fun is that the food was really substantial, plenty of protein, plenty of carbs, a decent touch of spice to both dishes, and then the beer, substantial to match, both in terms of the ABV that you get with an IPA, plus the slightly heftier body of an IPA. And then from a flavor profile, some citrusy, piney floral notes, balancing out the spices really nicely. I would say both meals, definitely a case of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. 
and Suma. As excited as I was to enjoy those pairings, I'm also excited to hear more about something you teased a bit last week, a Swiss whiskey that you had enjoyed. I'm wondering if this week uh, you could share a bit more about it. Tell us the name of it if you've got that handy and a little bit more about what that experience is like. It sounds like a pretty unique drinking experience. Yes, I tasted it again last weekend, and it's called Santis Malt. It's a Swiss Highlander single malt whiskey from the uh, town Appenzell. And it's a very um, strong whiskey, like you are used to be uh, used to know from the Scottish Highlands, I would say, like a Isle whiskey. And it's matured in old oak beer casks. And as a fan of whiskey, I have a lot of Scottish and Irish whiskies at home and some from the US, but this is a taste that I've never had before. It's like a completely different flavor and taste than I'm used to know from the Scottish and Irish whiskies. So it's a very interesting experience. And um, yeah, I would recommend this whiskey to, to anyone who likes to have a, a, a kind of a stronger whiskey in general. Love it. All right. Well, if you can somehow make it to Bet Bash 3 and tuck some of that into your luggage, I would gladly trade you a few <laughs> cans of beer for just a taste of this. Love the insight into something pretty unprecedented in the hoppier or on the whiskey side of things, in addition to all your insight on the betting side of things. The complete package here from Suma. If you're not doing so already, I cannot encourage you enough to follow him on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. And you can also find me there at MLandis18. want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode of Between the Lines. Jacob and I will be back on Friday for the flagship Props and Hops podcast. We'll look to stay hot with Hitman as we approach our NFL Week 18 prop betting breakdown. Talk to you then. Props and hops.